The next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they heard he had done this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, you see that you're gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. May God bless the reading of his word. Pastor Pat will now preach to us about going to battle on a donkey. Thank you, Pastor Pat. Good morning, Crossbridge. This morning, in order to appreciate and celebrate Palm Sunday, we are literally pushing the pause button on our sermon series entitled To the Ends of the Earth from the Book of Acts. Although we are not going to be looking at Acts today, we will still find ourselves indebted to several key themes and takeaways from last week's message, which will help us to appreciate today's message. Let me give you three themes that I heard in last week's message. As a way of review and as a challenge to all of us, let's see if you remember these three themes. Sovereignty, humility, and rejection. First, sovereignty. In both last week's and today's message, uh, we see the sovereignty of God in His providential care. From Acts 18, we see God's plan for His church and how He provides providentially for His workers through natural connections, through the partnerships of Paul with Aquila and Priscilla. This theme of providential care and God's sovereignty is also present in our passage today, where we see how Jesus' entry into Jerusalem on a donkey fulfills prophecy and challenges the authority of the religious leaders. Second, humility. In both Acts 18 and John 12, we see the importance of humility in serving God. Paul worked as a tent maker to support himself and his ministry while Jesus entered Jerusalem on a humble donkey instead of a mighty war horse, showing that his mission was one of peace and humility. Third, rejection. Last week, we saw how Paul was rejected by the synagogue, which drove him to take the gospel to the Gentiles. This parallels the rejection of Jesus by the Jewish leaders in today's passage. Despite this rejection, Jesus' triumphal entry stirred up enthusiasm among the people, much like how Paul's ministry in Corinth was blessed through the support of Aquila and Priscilla. Having reviewed the themes of sovereignty, humility, and rejection from last week's message, and how they relate to Acts 18 and today's passage, we now can devote our attention to our passage today. 
Today, we will see how Jesus' entry into Jerusalem on a donkey fulfills prophecy, rouses enthusiasm among the people, and uh, challenges the authority of the religious leaders. The contrast between the people's expectation of a militant Messiah would deliver them from Roman oppression and Jesus' mission as a humble, peace-loving servant highlights the tension between worldly power and the ways of God's kingdom. As we explore this passage, let the Spirit of God challenge us to reconsider our own understanding of power and authority. Inspire us to join in the joyful praise of God's people and warn us of the dangers of neglecting or rejecting the unconventional ways of God's kingdom. Would you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, we praise you for your enduring word that illuminates our path and challenges our understanding of power and authority. We pray that your Holy Spirit would guide us to a deeper understanding of Jesus' mission as a humble servant and give us the courage to walk in his footsteps with joyful praise even when his way challenges our expectations of what your kingdom looks like. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. First, let's consider the scene that's depicted in John chapter 12, verses 12 and 13. When Jesus arrived into Jerusalem amidst the warm welcome by the crowd. They were eager to greet him, placing palm branches on the road and crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. You see, this exuberant welcome revealed how the people of Jerusalem saw Jesus as their Messiah and King. They recognized his authority and looked to him for salvation. And during this time, the multitude of Jews and converts traveled to Jerusalem to partake in this week-long festival that is known as Passover. Hearing that Jesus would be present, they prepared to receive him with the honor and respect worthy of a king. And we read in Matthew chapter 21, verse 9, the crowds fervently hailing Jesus, declaring, Hosanna to the Son of David! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Now, see, the term Hosanna carries with it profound significance, meaning save us, or with added urgency, save us now. It expresses a deep desire of their heart for a salvation. As Jesus entered Jerusalem, the people acknowledged his dominion and authority by laying palm branches and their coats out before him as an act of submission, illustrating their belief that Jesus indeed was the promised Messiah, the reigning king of the Jews. However, we must remember that Jesus was no ordinary king. He defied expectations by riding into Jerusalem on a humble donkey rather than on a war horse. So he presented himself a bit as an unconventional warrior king who would bring peace not through 
force or conquest, but through love and sacrifice. Now, what is the meaning behind his choice? What message was Jesus conveying to his people? For now, I'm going to ask you to put a pin in that, and we're going to come back to that in just a few minutes. But meanwhile, let me lead us through a reflection on this particular historical event as we examine our own lives and consider whether we are giving God, Jesus, the honor, respect, and submission that he deserves. Is Jesus truly the king of our lives? Are we allowing him to have dominion and power over our actions, thoughts, even our desires? Just as the multitude welcomed Jesus into Jerusalem, let us welcome him into our hearts with the very same fervor and adoration. As followers of Christ, we are called to not only recognize Jesus as our Savior, but to submit to his will and authority in every aspect of our lives. This means allowing him to shape our very values, our decisions, and our relationships. When we fully embrace Jesus as our king, we find true freedom, peace, and purpose in our lives. So let's remember that this arrival of an unconventional warrior king, Jesus Christ, and the crowd's enthusiastic response to his coming May we also offer our lives as a living testament to Jesus' reign, honoring and submitting to him as our Lord and Savior. As the multitude cried out, Hosanna, let us too cry out for his salvation, trusting in the power and love of our King, Jesus Christ. Next, in John chapter 12, verses 14 to 18, John describes the reception of crowds rejoicing as Jesus enters Jerusalem on a donkey. The people hailed him as king and expected him to be the promised Messiah. Their praise was a big deal because the crowds were big, really big. I'm going to give you a sense of their size. Now, the estimate number of people in Jerusalem at that time of Jesus' triumphal entry varies a little bit depending on which scholar or pastor you consult. But based on estimations from historical records, it's believed that the population of Jerusalem at Jesus' time was ranged between 50 and 70,000. So, you know, it's a reasonably large number of people, but it's not a lot. But during the Jewish festival of Passover, this number would have swollen incredibly due to the many pilgrims who would come to the city for that festival. Using very conservative estimates, there may have been 200,000 pilgrims that would have been added on top of the 50 to 70,000 residents in Jerusalem at the time of Jesus' Passover. That would have made the city incredibly crowded. Now imagine the scene with the number of lambs that are required to be sacrificed at Passover. Now, if we go by the number of lambs that historian Josephus says is sufficient, which is about one lamb for 10 people, okay, 
um, we're going to end up with a number of about 25,500 lambs. Now, <laughs> just think about that. So you've got about a quarter million people, and you've got all those lambs in there, and you're wondering, like, how are you going to get into the city? So he's on this donkey, right, and he's walking in there, right, to the shouts of Hosanna. With that many people, it would have been deafening. Now, as promised, I'm going to bring us back to talking about donkeys, horses, and Jesus' choice of ride. His choice to enter Jerusalem on a donkey rather than a horse is significant in several ways. I'm going to give you three ways. Firstly, a king riding a donkey symbolized peace, whereas a king riding a horse symbolized what? War and conquest. By choosing a donkey, Jesus was deliberately presenting himself as a peaceful king who came to serve rather than a conqueror. Secondly, the choice of a donkey fulfilled the prophecy that we find in Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, which says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation. Is he humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey? Thirdly, Jesus' choice of a donkey fulfilled the law of Deuteronomy chapter 17 which laid down certain requirements for the king of Israel. Among other things, the law specified that the king should not multiply horses for himself, nor cause people to return to Egypt to multiply horses, and he should not multiply wives for himself or increase silver or gold for himself. So by riding on a donkey instead of a horse, Jesus was fulfilling the requirements of the law and presenting himself as a king who sought neither power nor wealth nor glory but rather to came rather he came to serve and fulfill God's purposes as we continue we also see the fulfillment of prophecy in Daniel chapter 9 God outlines his plans to bring an end to sin atone for iniquity and establish an everlasting righteousness among other things Daniel's prophetic vision of 70 weeks, represented by 483 years, and culminated in Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem on a, on a donkey, as we read today in John 12 and Zechariah 9, 9. This moment was a clear indication that Jesus indeed was the Messiah, the King of Israel. So as we've seen, when Jesus entered Jerusalem on a donkey, he did so in accordance to the law of Moses. And as we've seen, Jesus' entry on a donkey was a symbol of humility and peace. We also see this in Revelations chapter 19, verse 16, which reads, On his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. The Apostle John describes here a vision of Jesus Christ returning as a victorious warrior with a name on his robe and on his thigh, King of kings and Lord of lords. This verse serves as a powerful foreshadowing of Jesus' future return on a white horse, which will ultimately result in his triumph over evil 
and the establishment of His kingdom on earth. Now, throughout His ministry, Jesus often demurred and sought to avoid public attention, commanding those He healed and the demons that He cast out not to reveal His identity. But His entry into Jerusalem marked a dramatic shift in His approach. Jesus intentionally rode the donkey into the city, fully aware that the multitude gathered for the Passover and the people hailed him as their king, shouting, Hosanna. Jesus' entry into Jerusalem also marks the beginning of his hour, the appointed time for his crucifixion and resurrection. We see this in John chapter 12, verses 23 to 24, verses we didn't read, and it's here. And Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Jesus remembered his mission. He knew that his hour had come and that he would no longer avoid, he'd be able to avoid public attention. And in Luke's gospel, Jesus is recorded as saying, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. The Lord was speaking to the Pharisees, explaining that if his disciples were somehow silenced, that even these stones would cry out, acknowledging his identity. And when Jesus finally and publicly declares his divinity and his intention to be king of the Jews, he went to the temple, and what did he do? He ran out all of those who were buying and selling merchandise along with the money changers. The blind and the lame came to them, and he healed them, demonstrating his power and his compassion. The disciples, however, did not appreciate the significance of these events at the time. It was only after the Holy Spirit came upon him at Pentecost that they began to comprehend the fulfillment of prophecy in Jesus' life and ministry. This honest admission of their initial lack of understanding is a testament to the credibility of the gospel writers who did not conspire to fabricate some false narrative, but instead recorded the truth even when it revealed their own shortcomings. As we reflect on Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem, let us remember the significance of this event in God's grand plan for salvation. Jesus, the warrior king, arrived to fulfill prophecy, to reveal his true identity as the Son of God, and to carry out his mission of atoning for the sins of his people. May we also recognize and embrace him as our Savior and King, rejoicing in the hope and salvation he brings. May it be so. Third, in John chapter 12, verse 19, the Pharisees expressed their frustration at the increasing popularity of Jesus. Despite their efforts to stop people from believing in him, Jesus following his followers continue to grow in numbers. This situation is not unique to the Pharisees of Jesus' time. 
Many Christians face similar opposition today as they try to share the gospel with those who are resistant or indifferent. The Pharisees' reaction to Jesus' popularity serves as a cautionary tale for us believers. You see, it's easy to become frustrated or discouraged when our efforts to share the gospel seem to fall on deaf ears. However, we must remember that it is not our responsibility to convert people. Let me repeat that. It's not our responsibility to convert people. That is the work of the Holy Spirit. Our job is to do it faithfully, faithfully proclaim the truth and leave the results in God's hands. Furthermore, we must be careful not to become like the Pharisees and try to impede the work of Jesus. We may be tempted to take matters into our own hands and try to force people to believe or to suppress those who might disagree with us. However, that is never the way of Christ. He calls us to love our enemies, to pray for those who persecute us, and to trust in His sovereignty over all things. Ultimately, the Pharisees' frustration is a reminder that the gospel will be a stumbling block to whoever will not believe. But for those who have ears to hear and hearts to receive, it is the power of God unto salvation. So as we share the good news with those around us, let us do so with humility, with love, and a steadfast trust in the Lord's planning and timing. As I conclude this message and anticipate the Lord's Supper that we will partake together in a few minutes, let us reflect one last time on the events that led up to Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. And let us appreciate the significance of this momentous event and the sacrifice that the Lord has made for us. In Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem, we see how the people welcomed him as an unconventional warrior king. But what do we see after that? They rejected him. We also see the exasperation of the Pharisees at his increasing popularity. And what followed after that? A sense of victory as Jesus hung on the cross. This reminds us that not everyone will accept Jesus as their king. And we must examine our hearts to see if we have truly submitted to his lordship. So as you sing in response to this message and prepare to partake in the Lord's Supper, you, I want to at, have you ask yourself this. Is Jesus truly the king of your life? Have you truly surrendered to him and submitted to his will? Let's remember that Jesus did not come to establish solely an earthly kingdom but rather to save us from our sins. So have you accepted his gift of salvation and acknowledged him as your Lord and Savior? Finally, as you look forward to Jesus' second coming and the establishment of his eternal kingdom, have you asked yourself, do I eagerly await for his return? And do I long to see his kingdom established on earth? Will I become a part of that? 
Let us remember that in celebrating this Palm Sunday and in partaking of the Lord's Supper, we are proclaiming his death until he returns again in his glory. May we, you and I, keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, our King and Savior. Join me in prayer. Father in heaven, we exalt your sovereignty and your impossibly sacrificial love that sent your own Son to die in our place for our sins. As we reflect on the significance of Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem and prepare to commune with you, Lord, and with our brothers and sisters in Christ, we seek the help of your Holy Spirit to examine our hearts and surrender to Jesus as our King. We pray that we may eagerly await Christ's second coming and the establishment of his eternal kingdom, always keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus, our Lord, Savior and the perfecter of our faith. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.